Hey there. My name is Tracy Fuller, and this is the Arts Report for Wednesday, January 21st, 2009. Things are in high speed these days. Classes have started. Arts festivals are back on the road. I'm getting thousands of emails in my inbox, which is a great thing. I always want to know what's new and hip and happening around Vancouver. But um, I've got a jam-packed show for you today as a result, and I am getting more and more things lined up for the weeks ahead. So uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you want to get on the Arts Report, just shoot me an email right here at arts at citr.ca. Now, as for this week's show, I'm going to start off uh, with some of our festival coverage, because as I mentioned and previewed on the show last week, the push International Festival for Performing Arts has started. It started this Monday right here in Vancouver. And myself, our station manager, Brenda Gruno, and my two arts reporters, Melanie Cooksdorf, my dance critic, and Paul Riviere, my fabulous theater critic, we all headed down to the opening, which was at the Roundhouse Community Centre, and it featured a perform- the performance Siren, which is by a UK-based group, and it's a sort of musical montage. I don't think any of us were expecting what we came upon when we got there. But I had my recorder with me, and I took some background sounds of the piece, which is called Siren, as I said, and I got some feedback from both the audience, being us, who were there listening, and from one of the the uh, assistants to the artists who helped install the, the piece in the space. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this. This is Siren from the opening of the Push Festival, And that's 2009. Here you go. All right. So we're here at the Push Festival launch 2009. I'm here myself, Tracy Fuller, the arts director at CITR, and I have three others among us. Will you please introduce yourself in turn? Brenda Gruno, station manager. Melanie Cooksdorf. Dance critic. Dance critic. That's right. (laughs) And last but not least. Uh, Paul Riviere, theater critic. Fantastic. So we've just witnessed Siren. I will no doubt have promoted this piece before I put on this piece of audio, but it's an audio piece that's surprisingly visual. Audio and visual visual piece, and it's uh, kicking off the festival this year. The four of us have just seen it, and reactions? Anybody? Very industrial. Industrial? Yeah, so transcending from industrial to kind of like um, something that's, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Sublime. Sublime. Ghost in the machine. Ghost in the machine. There you go. That could work. And Mel, what did you think? I loved it. I thought it was really beautiful and yes I'll, I'll leave it at that for now <laughs> ephemeral that's the word I was looking for. ephemeral yeah okay yeah. okay like it transcended itself which was nice the contrast is was was so surprising that it went from this totally industrial mechanical look uh, factory kind of a feel to something that was really beautiful and and light and magical definitely yeah Brenda um, it, I, I'm still kind of stunned <laughs> so it, it was amazing how the, the emotion of the piece seemed to change throughout the time. Mm-hmm. At first it was like chimes on your deck, and then it became kind of shrill, and then it, it was like time was slowing down, and then it died. 
So yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, I don't think any of us had any expectation when we walked into the room. You walk in and you find these almost teepees with uh, speakers mounted on them, and yeah. and throughout time, and big sound, swinging arms. big swinging arms, sound comes in and comes out, and it's playing on harmonics, as Paul pointed out at the beginning. And all of a sudden, you have this room full of sound. Yeah, and like with that cathedral quality of the sound too. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I felt like it was almost like an organ. Except for that each sound spun, so you heard different, the, the sound was moving. Yeah. Like a siren, like a, an ambulance, I guess that's where siren comes from. Siren, the name. And the characters are interesting too. Like the two, the two men who are dressed like uh, technicians, kind of, yeah. and that they were the orchestrators of the sound, right? Definitely, these two men walk around and they, they ignite, I want to say, each pod of sound, and, and then it starts to turn and... And they tune it as well, with they, screwdrivers. They do tune it, and and you as the audience are free to walk around, and as you walk around the room, the sound also changes for you, and if you decide to crouch, or if you decide to listen in specifically to something, it's different. And then the lights go off. And the lights go off, and suddenly it's a visual of these red spinning globes, almost. That was really cool. That was a nice element. I, I think it really needed that to kind of bring it up to another level. Because once the sound was established and you got used to it, you were looking for something more, and then they delivered with that, with the visual. Definitely. And then did you, did either of you close your eyes, Brenda or Mel? I did, and then I got dizzy. Really? Wow. <laughs> I closed my eyes too, but um, but it just changed the way that I was understanding the piece because I wasn't looking at anyone or looking at the sound or looking at the apparatus. So I was just hearing. I saw some people being led around with their eyes closed. And they said that their experience was completely different. Because they looked like these little red fireflies yeah. that were emitting sound. Like you associated the, the visual like, light with the sound. And it was interesting to close your eyes because you saw it differently. Well, an outstanding start to this year's 2009 Push Festival. Thank you all for uh, sharing your input. Thanks, Tracy. Yeah, thanks, Tracy. It was wonderful. Thank you. No problem. Thanks to the Push Festival. All right, more of this to come. Woo! Okay, so I'm here at the Push Festival opening with... Can you introduce yourself? Hey, Stavrula Kunadea. And you work with the... I work with Ray Lee mm -hmm. uh, for the performance that is a sound installation performance called Siren, mm. uh, which is part of the Push Festival this year. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's taking place in the Roundhouse. Uh, that's the opening night tonight. Uh -huh. Yes. I am working as a, um, a technical assistant. Right. And I, I've been working with this company for the last um, year and a half. Right. And you were telling me that you help construct the the apparatus in there. Can you? What are they made of? Um, everything that you saw actually is being taken apart, and it's, it consists of long pieces of metal, mm -hmm. um, some braces that hold the metals together, and some uh, windscreen wipers, motors, really? that they help to spin, actually, these arms okay. with the loudspeakers around. Um, and we get some extension legs, mm -hmm. we create the tripods on the height that we want. Right. And this is how you make it out of, actually, just a bunch of pieces of metal. 
And on the end, there's little speakers. But how does the how do the tones or the sound that you hear how does that go through? Yeah, the the, the, the tones come from a, an electronic circuit board uh, that generates two different frequencies. Mm -hmm. One goes to its speaker. Okay. And what the performance do? When you see them with a screwdriver, they actually tune the different tones, the different frequencies mm -hmm. that uh, go into the speakers. So uh, each tripod produces two different tones. Right. Uh, we have 24 tripods tonight. This means that there are 48 different notes within the piece uh, um, spinning at the same time. And what the um, performers are trying to do is to tune these different notes uh, according to the Aeolian mode mm -hmm. uh, and create a certain harmonic combination. Right, and so for you, when since you've just been with the company for a little while, what has your experience been of this piece? Like, when you he heard it for the first time, what was it like? Uh, the first time, actually, I worked for them. Um, I, I hadn't watched the piece before, so I had no idea what I was... Getting into? Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when I watched it, it was, a, it was a great surprise, actually, because I was there putting all this piece together and doing what I was told to. <laughs> uh, because I, it was my first time I was working on it. Right. Um, and I think the, the, the main feeling that I had was that I, I was hypnotized. Right. Um, and I was completely drawn into this kind of um, spiral quality of mm. the sound and the light that's being created. Mm. Yeah, it just felt mesmerized, I guess. Absolutely. I think that's what everyone was feeling inside there. I was talking to a number of different people. So, how long are you going to be in Vancouver? Um, we've been already here for a week, mm -hmm. and we're going to stay for a week more. Uh, we're, yeah, we're going to go away on the 25th of time. Are you traveling somewhere else to perform the siren? Um, we were in New York before mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. and now we're going to go back to the UK for two weeks, and then we're going to be to um, go to Minnesota, and then Ohio, mm -hmm. and then the piece goes as well to New Zealand and Tasmania. Wow! Well. Yeah. Congratulations and good luck and welcome to Vancouver in Canada. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here. Thank you so much. That is the sound of Siren, which is which was created by the English artist, composer, and performer Ray Lee. It's part of this year's PUSH International Performing Arts Festival, which is now on in Vancouver and should be running until February 8th, I believe. Yeah, February 8th will be the end of the PUSH Festival. We here at CITR are sponsoring the festival this year, so we're going, we're, myself and my critics are getting out to see a number of the shows. But also, uh, CITR is uh, sponsoring Club Push, which is a new part of the PUSH Festival this year. It's the late night series of... Um, of performing innovative uh, innovative performances. They have everything from comedy to vaudeville bands and DJs. Artists include The Awkward Stage, Wood Pigeon, Veda Hilly, uh, Lily Fawn, drag artist Taylor Mack, visual artist Daniel Barrow, performer Mike Daisy, Jeff Berner, and our own DJ Betty Ford is hosting a night as well. So I would definitely encourage all of you out there to get out and check out Club Push. It should be an excellent adventure. 
But if you're not heading out to the Push Festival tonight, uh, there's a couple of other shows on the roster here in Vancouver. Actually, tonight at the Railway Club, Hermetic, our own um, shindig winners of this past year, they're putting on a, a performance. And so to highlight them and to uh, hopefully get things started for them, I'm, I'm playing a track off their new EP. This is Hermetic with um, a piece called Ode to Curmudgeons, I believe. Here you go. That was Hermetic with Curmudgeon's Club. And I'm going to send that out to my friend Amy Hadley. She was on the show a couple of weeks back. But uh, if there are any curmudgeons in my life, I would imagine that uh, she's the closest thing I've got. Anyways, Hermetic is playing at the Railway Club tonight. Check them out. Uh, they're awesome live. And, uh, yeah, that's what's going on tonight in Vancouver. So you want to gain the freshman 15? Well, you probably will. So why not gain it ethically? Sprouts, the student-run, not-for-profit grocery store, is now open in the lower level of the UBC Student Union Building, across from Travel Cuts in the Wellness Center. Sprouts is committed to providing the UBC community with healthy, locally produced, organic, and fair trade products at great prices. Sprouts will be open from 9.30 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. So you want to tag a ride on the sustainable gravy train? Sprouts is now looking for volunteers to help out with tabling, outreach, and at the storefront. So just drop by and pick up your application. All right. This is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM right here in Vancouver. I'm Tracy Fuller. Glad to be with you here today. 
Um, so uh, CITR is uh, getting involved in a lot of different arts events these days, which is great for me. And um, I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, video-based media artists Brian Johnson and Anthony Roberts earlier today. They are the filmmakers or the artists behind... Uh, the film The Soft Revolution, which is an interactive cinematic installation, uh, which is going up at the Interurban Gallery. That's located at 1 East Hastings in downtown Vancouver, right across from Pigeon Park. The uh, Soft Revolution premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2007. And it's not like any other films you're going to go out and see in the regular theatre. It's an interactive experience. So when you walk in, well, it's a three-channel vignette-based interactive film. And um, each... Each of the uh, the little vignettes or parts of the film is character-driven, but each character or the way that the film flows forward is through the choice of the audience. The audience has to go up, there are buttons, and you, you select a button which will bring you to a different part of the film. So every time the film is shown, it's a different order, it's a different experience, and you as the audience member have to get involved with the way that the film itself unfolds. So um, this is perhaps one of the newest ways that people are watching films these days, and I wanted to talk to both of the filmmakers. They are both Vancouver-based men. And uh, so we had a phone conversation, and I must apologize in advance. Um, They were at the gallery setting up all the screens and setting up all the technology. So uh, I could only talk to them over a cell phone on speakerphone. But uh, our conversation was fascinating, and I would encourage all of you to check it out at the Interurban Garden a gar- a gallery, excuse me. And this is my conversation with artists Brian Johnson and Anthony Roberts. Apart from the the way that the film is distributed, how how did you come about with the storyline? Well, um, I was um, always kind of really inspired by the I Ching. I'm an Asian Studies graduate from UBC, actually, and. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I would dump all the experiences of my university uh, out the window because uh, it did it did uh, trigger me uh, to uh, get more deeply into Taoism and um, kind of sort of the, the uh, fascinating uh, layers of meaning that I found in a lot of texts by you know Chuangzi and Lao Tzu mm-hmm. and and that that. Uh, idea for the I Ching as as uh, supporting all all kinds of ideas that. Um, are kind of uh, a reflection of uh, natural processes uh, and working their way through human social interactions. It's always really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I kind of drew on uh, the I Ching as, as sort of uh, a way to organize an idea of this kind of wacky, mixed-up family who lived on the Gulf Islands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spent a lot of my early childhood on the Gulf Islands, and uh, you know, it's kind of a uh, always kind of almost has a mythical uh, sense about it. People who are living there are kind of exiles uh, or you know geniuses, oppressed people maybe who, who came from the U.S. during the time of the Vietnam War. Right. Um, you know, there's a really interesting mix of 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 a blending of families and things that I saw when I was growing up there. And uh, so, yeah, this uh, divergent family makeup uh, was kind of inspiring uh, all the all the different characters who make up this this mixed family. Mm-hmm. Associate. Okay. 
it's kind of a different process from writing a normal uh, screenplay, though, in that, um, you know, we, we had a certain number of characters, which mm -hmm. were um, representing the, the various characters of the Yi Ching, uh, the hexagrams. And um, so, you know, we knew we needed a certain number of characters. We knew we needed a certain number of scenes between each of the characters. And so we just sort of sat down and started thinking, okay, well, let's, let's you know, given all these things that Anthony was just mentioning, mm -hmm. let's figure out who these characters might be. And, uh, you know, primarily, like, you know, initially came up with the, with the, with the characters themselves. Yeah. An idea of what they were like, and then sat down and just started writing scenes between all these characters and fleshing out the, the body of the I Ching yeah. through the, the dramatic, I guess, interactions. Yeah. More or less, yeah. Very cool. When people walk into the gallery and the performance or the film actually starts, what's what sort of space are they walking into? Right. Well, first of all, I should I should mention that um, there's your chances are uh, the audience will you know they'll never see uh, quote unquote start like the thing goes continuously. Right. Um, and where you enter into the story sort of uh, depends on chance, which is what the whole piece is about. It's about chaos, mm -hmm. chance, and nature, um, and the I Ching, which is also about those things. Um, so when the audience uh, enters the gallery, they'll see two um, consoles, for lack of a better term. They, they look a little bit like a Hammond organ, uh, which is not by coincidence. Um, the piece is very musical. Right. Um, and so there's these two um, Hammond organ-looking things that have um, eight buttons on each one with, with pictures of characters. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then there's a, a huge screen, and there's three... Um, large projections that uh, that fill the screen um, and depending on what which buttons have been hit um, you'll see different things on the well you'll see different things on all three of them um, the outer two are, are mirror images of each other the inner uh, is independent so. right and so basically the the audience has to choose the way that this story unfolds about which characters they're going to follow and how the story works why, why did you want the audience to be in control of this aspect of the film? I mean, after that one. <laughs> uh, well, I think part of the concept behind the soft revolution was to emulate the experience of playing the I Ching, mm -hmm. which uh, provides kind of like the philosophical and, and sort of graphic architecture behind um, this interactive movie. Mm -hmm. And so essentially... Uh, you know the middle the middle screen is going to show you uh, dramatic scenes from the from the movie, and then the side panel screens show you uh, you know representations of the season of nature in which the dramatic scene takes takes place in. Each of the dramatic scenes corresponds to a, one of the sixty four parables of the I Ching. Mm -hmm. Side panels um, are the season of nature uh, in which the dramatic scene takes place in. Right. So, in a way, we wanted to uh, give the audience a sense that they were actually not only uh, driving the plot of the movie forward by pushing uh, two combinations of combination of two buttons, but by pushing 
combination of these two buttons. They were, in fact, emulating the experience of playing the I Ching, uh, which is a combination of uh, natural elements which are represented by things like fire, air, water, uh, wind. And we assigned all those characteristics to the character buttons on the X and Y axis. All the, all the characters also had those types of uh, manifestations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, though, even beyond, like, um, a connection to the I Ching, um, you know, uh, interactive narrative is, is, uh, is something that is coming. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's happening right now, like, whether it's in the form of a video game or this or uh, this piece or, you know, a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a very, uh, it's kind of a fascinating way to try and construct narrative because you, you have to assume that, um, you, have to, you have to give up control to an yeah. extent. You have to give up control of the narrative to the, to the audience. And, um, and, and finding that, like, subtle way of, of giving the audience some amount of control but still steering them in the direction that you're interested in, 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 uh, in them going mm-hmm. is, um, is, is a really interesting challenge, I think, for us. And Definitely. But the, the gallery itself probably holds a lot more people than will be able to interact with the film or make well, choices by pushing buttons. I'm a- yeah, this this is kind of. Do you want to take this? Ahead. This is sort of where the piece becomes like a really. And this is another interesting thing about about uh, creating something that you know is is uh, interactive and that's open to public. Like you, there there becomes this social event, mm-hmm. social atmosphere where you know people will eventually make their way to one of the plants and they'll hit a button. Mm-hmm. And that action in and of itself is pretty fascinating to watch. Like, you know. Yeah, I, I was really interested to hear you describe how, what, what the performance looked like when it was at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2007 and at other venues that it's performed at. What, what, have, you been, what have you witnessed in terms of watching the audience interact with the, with the film? Well, it's, it's really, it is quite interesting. Uh, on one level, the soft revolution is as much a social experiment as an art experiment uh, in terms of interactivity. Um, we, we do watch people in the audience, and the people in the audience are watching everybody else in the audience. And it seems like there are some people who, uh, they rush over the buttons and they almost hang over the consoles waiting for a scene to finish so they can have another chance to um, advance the movie forward. Mm-hmm. Other people seem to not understand, um, you know, the relationship between uh, hitting uh, combinations of buttons, and they'll hang out on one console and, just hit, and hit different buttons continuously, and, and wonder why, you know, they never see a dramatic scene. They, eventually, uh, people seem to figure out uh, the the formula for for advancing the movie forward. Uh, although. It's also interesting to notice that some people don't even seem to care, uh, you know, to interact with with the movie. They, they'd rather sit back and watch other people mm-hmm. uh, uh, choose their favorite characters 
and move the move the movie forward. Which is fascinating because that's kind of what, in a regular film context, you have the director making all those choices and or the author choosing which way the story is going to go and which characters to focus on. But you've sort of reversed that. Are you asking the audience to kind of play God? Is is, <laughs> is that? Now that's our well, job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, yeah, just more. I mean, we're 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 all amused bystanders, uh, you know. And and I think the, uh, the 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 people who are playing the movie, um, yeah, have seem to have different uh, responses to uh, you know the experience. Mm-hmm. But you, it is supposed to be seen in a group context, not like myself watching a, a preview screener alone at home with my computer. I really didn't get the sense that that's the way that the film should be viewed. No, no, that 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 just Tracy. So you know that those preview screeners, they're really only a way of giving people like that is not meant to be a possible way of viewing the project. Okay. Really, that's only just like some documentation and some samples of the scene. Not that's not meant to be part of the experience of the soccer. Well, I definitely, I, I appreciate that, but I'm also wondering then, I mean, how, how are you going to get the film out to more people? Because it, it is an amazing process to be involved in, I think. And, I mean, just looking at the rea- reaction from the Toronto International Film Festival, they've now created a whole section of every year's um, festival to include interactive or uh, different kinds of films like this. It's, yeah. And as you said, this may or may not be a yeah. large vein in the future of film. Yeah, no, it, and that's one of the real issues is is finding venues and, and it, it's it's a curious uh, it's in a curious place right now because people from the film world don't really know quite what to make of it and people from the art world don't really know quite what to make mm-hmm. of it. So it kind of straddles this weird like um, form and um, yeah, finding places. To exhibit it, and um, you know, I mean, also it's, it's expensive to put on. Yeah, uh, quite bluntly, yeah. Uh, the cost of uh, having a space to rent uh, three screens, uh, three, or one big one, or one large one, uh, three projectors, and security for the event. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit uh, of an undertaking for sure. So mm. it's a challenge, but you know, hopefully. Uh, it's a very satisfying experience and one that is unique in, in, in film and art. And people should come out and see it and, and experience it because the only way to really get, get a feel for this is to actually be there and interact. Definitely. I, I, and I was reading some of the other reviews or interviews you've done and people were comparing it to um, video games and the, and the way that people are starting to interact with video games, choosing characters, becoming these sort of characters. And I wonder, I mean, you say there's some confusion in the film world and in the art world as to how to embrace or to name the format that this is? Yes. Do you think that it's closer to video games than it is to um, other medium? It's not really. I mean, it's uh, maybe it's somewhere in the middle of all three. I don't know. But it it's 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 not encouraging you to identify it with a character in terms of like a first person video game. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's more of a you know you make a selection and then you sit and watch a short film. Right. 
it's all connected, um, you know, with a, within a larger narrative. There's a different type of interactivity that, that happens when, when you are playing the soft religion. I, I think actually you do identify with a character mm-hmm. as you would in a first-person shooter or uh, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, controller-driven experience with, as in a video game. Right. If you're if you're actually playing the soft revolution, I think the way you identify it is how you would in film. You know, like you yeah. you, you play a character, a scenes over and over again because you, you like that you character. like that character. Yeah. You want to know well what motivates that person? Would I yeah. would I act in a similar way? Or where mm-hmm. that character's yeah. arc is going? Or you know you want to find out what happens? Definitely. As you watch, the more you watch. Um, the piece, the more you understand what everybody, what's going on with everybody. It's not, especially because, you know, if you come into the gallery and the, and it's through half of its yearly cycle, you, you've missed quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, which isn't to say that you can't enter it in the middle. It's just, you know, you'll have to sit there for a while to figure out what's going on. I mean, it, it's the same with any film, right? Whether you, mm-hmm. whether you come in at the beginning, the middle, or the end, uh, you know, it takes a while to sort of put everything together and figure out what's happening, and this is that kind of thing, too. The one thing I would say, though, with this piece is we also considered the way that one might view it. There's a lot of material here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's three and a half hours of dramatic material, um, so nobody's going to come into a gallery and sit and watch the entire, every possible scene between the um, 16 characters. Yeah, the the experience of the movie is different every time. It's never the same thing twice. There's different combinations of scenes that uh, draw you to the conclusion of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it, it, everyone's experience, depending on the time they see it, can be different. Yeah, and, and I mean, even the way of of experiencing it is probably something that should be more modeled on the experience of. Um, taking in the I Ching, which is you return to it over and over. You 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 uh, you re- you you consult the I Ching, you know, once a day maybe or mm-hmm. once two days, and um, you you know you roll the the coins or the arrow stick. You drive your reading. And this is the, one of the great things about actually having it up as an exhibition, as opposed to just a you know a one-off event like a movie. You you can come in off the street, you know. Mm-hmm time of the day, and if you have a particular you know, question, a query in your mind, just like the I Ching, you can consult the movie in a similar way. It's an oracle. You can come, you can come in off the street and watch a scene for 10 minutes and, and, and have something to reflect on. Say the, uh, the scene that you randomly generate is revolution, number 49. You know, Perhaps mm-hmm. that'll give you some kind of answer to a question you might have in your mind about something. Definitely. And, uh, like the I Ching, you know, you can, you, can, you can come and play it, you know, uh, over and over again, or you can just come in and, and play one scene and then go on, you know, walk out of the gallery and go on with your day. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I was struck, the first scene that I came upon was the scene of, with the mother and the daughter in the garden, and she's looking for the basil. Right, and Chula and uh, Lauren Bowler. And Lauren Bowler, yeah. Daughter. Yeah, and just right off the top, I was immediately brought in, I, I I was I could see that it was springtime I guess was the the yep. feeling of the the season and and I've had similar conversations myself with with people who have started gardens perhaps years ago and they suddenly remember and it's not it wasn't exactly the same but 
the way the characters are, it drew me in, and then immediately I wanted to follow that mother, and it was a choice for me. Yeah. And um, That's and I'm it's it was a it is a fascinating experience. Are you you put the film itself? You started to come together long before 2009, obviously. How, are you guys working on the next interactive film? Um, yeah, well, I think we're both working on... We're, we're working on a couple of projects separately. Mm-hmm. It took so long to make this one, we, we drove each other crazy. <laughs> Needed a little bit of a break. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're both... Uh, Anthony's working on an animated... Yeah. I'm doing an anima- interactive animated piece for the iPhone. Wonderful. Yeah, and and I'm working on another, uh, well, a piece that uh, would be uh, uh, the interface is uh, more more of a musical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be for web and uh, and for gallery installation. Great. Well, I hope to 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 see or hear from both of you again in the future, and I would encourage everyone to get down to the gallery to check out the soft revolution we're sending all of our listeners down there to uh to catch the film right and um yeah a good break a leg or break a i don't know what you say in film break a <laughs> break a reel well this isn't really film so. <laughs> okay well all right well good luck both of you and that was my conversation with media art vancouver-based media artists Brian Johnson and Anthony Roberts. The Soft Revolution will be playing at the Interurban Gallery. That's one East Hastings, uh, opening tomorrow night, the 22nd of January, from 7 to 9 p.m. And both Brian and Anthony will be there to uh, watch you make your selections and to answer any questions you might have about the film or the performance. Um, But apart from tomorrow, it'll also be open on the 23rd and the 24th of January, and then from the 28th to the 30th. And the gallery will be open from 1 to 5 p.m. And as the artist said, do come down more than once. It'll be a different experience each time you go. And uh, as film critic, Toronto-based film critic Jesse Wente said, this is probably one of the most interesting, interactive, and utterly sublime films you'll see this year. There's nothing like it. So uh, head on down to the Interurban Gallery sometime this week and check it out. CineWorks Independent Filmmaker Society is excited to present The Soft Revolution, an interactive cinematic installation by Vancouver-based media artists Brian Johnson and Anthony Roberts. A three-channel vignette-based film The Soft Revolution's dramatic and often comedic character-driven vignettes based on the Taoist principles of the I Ching show the pivotal experiences of a year in the life of a vibrant, complicated Gulf Islands family. An immersive cinematic experience, The Soft Revolution explodes the frame of traditional cinema by allowing for avenues of immediacy and improvisation formerly unattainable in the media of film. The show opens on January 22nd at 7 p.m. at the Interurban Gallery on 1 East Hastings Street. The artists will be in attendance.
You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM right here in Vancouver. It's about 5.40 p.m. on Wednesday, January 21st. This is The Arts Report, and I'm Tracy Fuller. Now, before I get to any more of my content, I want to announce another concert that's going on this week. Uh, that's this Friday at the Biltmore, January 23rd. Junior Major will be rele- having a CD release party, and uh, they'll be uh, playing some hits off their new their new CD, with, uh, along with uh, special guests The Good News, The Paper Cranes, and The New Values. Now, I just noticed from my, um, my regular looking at the Biltmore's lineup, that junior major was playing, but then when I opened the CD, I found out that one of my, one a guy who I went to school with from grade four to right through to the end of high school, named Adam Sabla. Um, I knew this guy before we knew what the what was, but he's he's actually in one of the three main characters in Junior Major. Um, I can attest to the fact that he was carrying a uh, guitar to and from school when he was nine years old. This kid is, well, he's not a kid anymore, but he's an amazing talent. Everyone knew so at the time, and so I'm really excited to see uh, Junior Major putting out a CD and uh, listening to these tracks. So here's here's one right off the top. It's called I Still Don't Hate You, and uh, this is Junior Major. They'll be at the Biltmore this Friday night. What? 
So that's Junior Major, and they're hosting a CD launch party this Friday night at the Biltmore. And a big shout-out to uh, Adam Sabla from Tracy Fuller, that nerd from the corner. Yes, I now am on the radio. Shocking, but true. Yes. Okay, so before I get to a couple of... We've got a couple of more reviews here before I wrap up the show today. I just wanted to make a couple of announcements. First is tomorrow night at the Pit Pub, uh, UB, the UBC and CITR 101.9 FM, which is us, will be hosting Cover Shoot, which is an awesome dance night at the Pit. I will be there. A bunch of the other CITR DJs will be there, along with your favorite UBC writers, staff members, photographers, etc. cetera. Uh, there are going to be CITR DJs spinning some fantastic music so head on down to the pit pub it starts at 9 p.m and goes right through to the wee hours of the morning so uh get on down there and support citr also in uh, canadian arts news the nfb has decided to make their films all free online they're launching this new project which will allow anyone to uh stream videos online uh, everything from 1952 Neighbors, the one that won the Oscar, to um, Mon Oncle Antoine, which is one of Canada's classics, The Big Snit, The Cat Came Back, Nobody Waved Goodbye. Lots of your favorite NFB films will be available online in their online screening room. And uh, it's part of a, it was created as part of, of a, a $1.3 million project to digitize the NFB's collection. And... Um, in some ways, this is how our films will survive because uh, a lot of the celluloid and stuff, it will break down over time. But since they're moving all of the films on to their uh, an internet database, you and I and everyone across the country and around the world who's interested in the films, the independent films, the documentary films, the films that have really defined this country as a, a film a filmmaker's paradise, let's say, um, they're going to be available to you for free over the internet. So definitely head to the NFB's website to check that out. Uh, it's really good news, and hopefully it'll inspire our next generation of fantastic Canadian filmmakers. So good kudos to the NFB for doing that. All right. Um, last week, I sent my theatre critic, Paul Riviere, out to see the Arts Club's new production of Miss Julie. Now, some of you might have heard of this film before. It's by Auguste Strindberg, uh, and it's an old story about a, um, a high-class uh, daughter who falls in love with a servant who lives in her house. And, uh, and the class structure and the, the difficulties involved in falling in love and the shift of power when money and gender and uh, circumstance come into play. So the new, the new production is uh, set in the Deep South in uh, America. It's an updated version. And it's been touted as being one of the most interesting and most timely pieces to come out right now, considering uh, Barack Obama was just elected yesterday. And the talk in, in, in the world in general about race relations and power struggles and, and such are, are really on the media's mind and on the mi in the minds of artists and filmmakers and everyone these days. So here's Paul Riviere's review of the uh, Arts Club's Miss Julie. Hello everyone, this is Paul Riviere. Happy to be back again for another year with the Arts Report on CITR. Last week I had the pleasure of seeing my first show of the year, Miss Julie Freedom Summer at the Vancouver Playhouse. Miss Julie is an adaptation of a play by August Strindberg and is on at the Playhouse until January 31st. Stephen Soch, the 
playwright and director, decided to set his adaptation in the Mississippi during the 1960s, a time of changing American values and a time of change for African Americans, especially in the southern states where lynchings were still popular and the rights of African Americans were often abused. Miss Julie Freedom Summer toys with this sense of new freedom and new hope in America, but it is ultimately presented as an ironic freedom for the characters in the play, for they are never truly free to escape the cage and limitations that bind them, the cage being the, the limiting expectations of their race, class, and gender. In the play, Miss Julie is the daughter of a wealthy plantation owner, and joining her in her cage is in, and in search of her equal rights and sense of self-identity is her father's Afro-American servant and chauffeur, John, played by Kevin Hancher. The remaining character on the stage is John's fiancée, Christine, played by Raven Duda, who, despite an accident to her leg, gave one of the most natural performances of the evening. The plot of the play revolves around Miss Julie and John and their mutual struggle to break free from the chains that bind them. As is often the case with two struggling souls that come together briefly in an impossible harmony, they are united in their struggle by a strong physical attraction for each other. This attraction, this physical energy, is the only thing that manages to leap beyond its confines, but this explosion of sexual energy leaves the two characters desolated and ultimately bemused by their own suffering and inability to evoke real change in their lives. It is in this regard, in the character's ultimate struggle for victory, for, for freedom in an opposingly cruel and limiting world, that I felt the director could have incorporated a little more subtlety, for there's so much emphasis on the battle of the sexes, so much struggle for, for who they are is spread out on the table, that it stretched my imagination to believe that Miss Julie could consider suicide as a way out, and I was ultimately left wondering why, at the end of the play, I had such little sympathy for two characters that should have deserved a great deal of compassion. Still, it was an enjoyable production which moves forward quickly due to the energetic performance of the cast and a flair of interesting blocking, as when Hanchard sits for a spell with his back to the audience. The set by Pam Johnson, a long-standing talent in the local theatre scene, was a beautiful piece of eye candy and was nicely supported by the lighting design of Alan Brody. Now, I'm going to try something new with my reviews this year, and that is to sum up the review under the headings of Be There and Beware. So, for Miss Julie Freedom Summer, be there for the high-energy performance, the interesting and in many ways controversy, still controversy, subject matter, and the great set design. Beware of the director's choice to over-dramatize some of the plot structure, which may lead you to feel, as I did, unsympathetic for the characters at the end of the play. For the Arch Report, this is Paul Revere. To your door. And thanks, as always, to Paul for that wonderful review. Be there or beware. This is hit, hit Paul's uh, new way of uh, letting you know, just at the end of his review, what to look for and what perhaps to look out for if you're going to attend any of these uh, these productions. And I would encourage you to to attend them, including one that I saw last night. It's another Push Festival offering, and it's probably the most highly anticipated piece that, well, among the Push roster that I was looking at anyways. Uh, it's called Billy Twinkle, Requiem for a Golden Boy, and it's uh, Ronnie Burkett, the marionette or puppeteer Ronnie Burkett's new show. And uh, for anyone stuck in the middle, whether it be mid-career, mid-love, mid-life, mid-school, mid-mid, uh, if you're caught between your past and your future, this Requiem for a Golden Boy shines like a little light on the wonder of youth, the meaning, the meaning of wisdom and age, and it's a kick in the pants from where you started out to, uh, to get on with your life and to uh, get over those uh, obstacles, whatever they be, whether they be death or hardship or 
poverty, etc. So uh, Billy Twinkle, the story uh, of the of Billy Twinkle is um, that Billy Twinkle is a middle-aged cruise ship puppeteer who dazzles audiences with his stars in miniature marionette nightclub act. And Billy is the best in the business. And he's on top of the world as he floats along th- through life until he is fired by the cruise line. And so we come, we meet Billy as he's standing at the edge of a ship contemplating a watery demise. And that's when Billy is abruptly called back into reality when his dead mentor, yes, his dead mentor in the form of a hand puppet appears. The mentor's name is Sid Diamond. And Sid literally will not leave Billy's side and forces Billy to reenact his life as a puppet show in order to remember and rekindle the passion Billy once had for puppets how he felt for people, and the dream of a life that sparkles. It's a beautiful play. If any of you have seen any of Ronnie Burkett's shows before, he, as a person, interacts as one of the main characters of the show, and he interacts with all these beautifully hand-carved puppets, and they honestly come to life on stage and interact with each other in a way that, unless you see it, you would never imagine a puppet show to be become what this is. So I brought a friend of mine who has never seen a puppet show before in her life, and um, I think she had ideas of public libraries and small children, but this is certainly not a performance for, ch- for small children. This is Lucy Gotell and my conversation about Billy Twinkle, the performance we saw last night. So last night, I took my friend Lucy out to see Ronnie Burkett's new puppet show, or marionette show, which is called Billy Twinkle. And we're sitting here in our office right now, the day after, and I just, we're going to have a little short conversation about what we thought. So, Lucy, what did you think? I thought it was wonderful. It was the first time I saw a puppet show like that, so it totally uh, surprised me, and it was very entertaining. Did you have any expectations when you walked into the theater, what you might be seeing? I, I, think, I think I described it to you as a, a puppet show. Let's go and see a puppet show. But it's, I, from my opinion, I think it's much more than that. Definitely. It was kind of a story of, of his background, and it was really moving. As far as expectations, I, I didn't expect him to be so involved in it. I kind of thought it would be more about the puppets, and he would be up um, making them do their thing, but you wouldn't really see him or hear from him a whole lot. So, yeah, that surprised me. And uh, the humor as well. It was some raunchy humor, so... Yeah, definitely adult content. Uh, I don't think you'd be wanting to bring your five- or six-year-old kids to see this puppet show, but... Um, I think one of the things that I always I, I mentioned before to you that I've seen a couple of his other shows is just how you are able to suspend your disbelief and really believe in these marionettes actually being almost lifelike characters at points. It's, it's funny because you can see the whole apparatus. You see him moving them around, but still they become characters on their own. Yeah, I I agree. I think even though they're not making facial expressions or anything, they really come to life. And uh, he was doing all the different voices for each one, but you still got a real sense that they were people that maybe he's known or just, yeah, characters that that he's brought to life himself. Definitely. And it's a one hour and 50 minute show straight through. It's nonstop. And at the end, I turned to Lucy and I was like, I can't believe he has the energy to do that because he sings, he dances, the puppets dance. He's... It's really well choreographed as well. And uh, I just, a, a really enveloping experience. Do, would you recommend it to your friends? Definitely. Yeah. 
I think I, I, I of course would recommend it to my friends, but I think I might. I, it would be a certain crowd that would enjoy it. I, I'm not sure that everyone would, would sort of attached to the story. It is a great story of a boy growing up and achieving his dream of becoming a puppeteer, much like Ronnie Burkett himself, but I don't know whether it's a story for everyone. Well, I wonder, because I kind of went into it wondering if I would even enjoy it, because like I said, I've never really seen anything like that, but for me it was, it was hilarious, and I think apart from the humor that obviously children couldn't go watch, I think um, it'd be suited to a wide audience. I think a lot of people would enjoy it who maybe assume that they wouldn't enjoy something like that. All right. All right. Cool. I, I think that's that's great. Then, well, I'm definitely going to uh, encourage all of you to get out there to the Push Festival. It's running right through, running Burkett's show runs right through to the end on February 5th. And I'd like to thank you, Lucy, for coming with me last night. Thank you, Tracy. No problem. All right. Now, I made a mistake in that last bit. Uh, the show, Ronnie Burkett's uh, Billy Twinkle Requiem for a Golden Boy, runs right through to the 8th of February. That's the end of the Foot Push Festival, and it's at the Waterfront Theatre, which is on Granville Island. The show is two hours, and there's no intermission, so go to the bathroom ahead of time. But if you can get out to check it out, you have never seen a show like this before. The puppets are incredible. Ronnie Burkett is a Canadian national treasure, and... Uh, if there's one thing to see at the Push Festival this year, in my opinion, this would probably be it. So, we've come to the end of another hour. I can hardly believe it. This year is just flying by. I've got lots of content, as I said, off the top of the show coming up in the coming weeks. More Push Festival reviews, a couple of artists, and I hope to be speaking with some of the teachers from Emily Carr about a recent article in Canadian Art Magazine, which... Uh, talked about the future of painting, and that should be coming up on one of my future shows. But for the time being, this is the end of the Arts Report for this week. If you ever want to get in touch with me or suggest a show or a, a piece of art or a performance that's going on in the city, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can reach me at arts at citr.ca. And until Friday, when I give you your lowdown for the weekend, and next week, when I give you another Arts Report, this is Tracy Fuller signing off from CITR 101.9 FM.